0: we'll be looking at printed on your bulletin insert and there are five points to today's sermon but I wore my watch so that should help us to stay on time. Usually you'll only see three points and then but I'm going to keep us on time. And how about that choir? I was blessed by the way that they use their tongues. We studied that the last time we were in James, that the tongue is powerful for evil, but powerful for good. And we heard a powerfully good use of the tongue. Uh, how many of you, when you were in high school, your parents made you go to two services in the morning on Sunday an early service and a late service? Here they are. Getting twice the wisdom today, because we're talking about wisdom from God's Word. Where's your wisdom from? I love the wisdom books of Scripture. James is sometimes called the wisdom book of the New Testament, the Proverbs of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's five wisdom books that we have are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. I've uh, preached through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, many of the Psalms. I haven't done Job yet, so that'll probably be the next one since Pastor Tony is really wanting to take Song of Solomon for himself, and I thought that would be great. He can do that. But today, we're in James chapter 3, and as we started James 3, 1 to 12, we saw that James is looking for evidence of this new birth that God does in us. He's the one that borns us again, gives us new life. But He's also the one that helps us to grow. And the fruit that we bear in our lives is evidence of that growth. Uh, That growth isn't what saves us. It's because we are saved that we start to evidence that growth. Faith and then works. Now we looked at the tongue and how it evidences a changed heart. And we looked at the use of our tongues. And He used these vivid illustrations of a a boat, and of a horse, and of a great fire, and these little things that can control or direct that little tongue, that little rudder, that bit, or a spark can set on fire a whole forest. But there's always this connection that we see throughout Scripture between our tongue and our hearts. Our hearts are tied to our tongue. And so, James introduces that to us in the first half of the chapter, and then he kind of moves his attention to the heart to help us understand the importance of true wisdom in forming our hearts. We're not going to be able to drive our lives and guide our tongues without the work that God does in transforming our hearts and making us to want to live for Him. So the, the example that he gives us now is, is how wisdom, how the heart is engaging the tongue in truly wise ways. The question he poses is, what kind of wisdom do you have? Or specifically, where is your wisdom from? Please follow along as I read James three thirteen to 18. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Who is wise and understanding among you? Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing your word to us and setting before us this morning, James 3. We thank you for the wisdom of your word that we can study throughout your scriptures, but In concentrated form, we thank you for depositing it here for us today. Lord, your Word is living and active, and I know that there are circumstances in our lives, there are decisions that we are facing, there are needs that we have that your Word before us today has answers to. And I pray, Lord, that we would read for answers. We would read for truth, that your living and active Word speaks to us today by the power of your Holy Spirit, making our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Lord, take away the scales from our eyes so that we would be able to gaze into your Word and not to leave unchanged, but to be changed. Lord, we want to not be hearers of the Word only, but to be doers and the promise that you have attached that we would be blessed in the doing. Lord, this is from you by your grace. Work in us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So since we're talking about wisdom today, let's start with a, a little test. Just one test question. I'll make it a true or false question. Listen carefully. True or true or false? Wisdom is best judged by the degrees you have and the grades you scored in school. True or false? Excellent. Very good. Class participation, you're getting a little star for that too. It's false. And if you said that, you would be correct. And it's some evidence of some true wisdom on your part. Um, Many definitions about wisdom, biblical wisdom, is knowledge applied or knowledge in action. It's not just what's crammed in your head between your ears, but it's what shows in your life. It's, it's practical. It's not just A squared plus B squared equals C squared is the Pythagorean theorem. That's knowledge. But when you know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away. You know when to run. That's the knowledge in action applied so that you have wisdom. Thank you. Kenny Rogers. And so I want us to look to God's Word as the source of real wisdom, of true wisdom, of genuine wisdom. Someone said, Wisdom, the wisdom of God is not something that's acquired, but it's something that is bestowed upon us by God, upon His elect. It is a divine endowment and not a human acquisition. Therefore, we Christians who have accepted Christ as our Savior, who have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, are the only ones who can say that we are wise, not of ourselves, but because of the presence of God within us. Job 28.28 says, He said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And turn away from evil is understanding. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction and in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. You see, it starts with the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And as we, as believers, are taught to fear, and then our fears are relieved because of God's grace, His amazing grace, we as Christians, Born-again Christians, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, can understand spiritual things, spiritual wisdom. Not like the world can. The world can't understand these things that are spiritually discerned. And Peter, or James wants us to be able to give evidence to something that isn't typically something you can see. They're inner things. When he talks about faith in chapter 2. We can't see that faith unless it grows some fruit of works. You show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. The works aren't what save us. The works aren't what make us accepted or born again. But it does evidence that God has done a work in your life. So in verse 13, we see wisdom. Those who is wise and who is understanding. Those are inside. Those are inner man qualities that James says they're going to show up. They're going to manifest themselves, and he's going to tell us how. What are we looking for to see if God has begun to work wisdom in our lives? True wisdom. It's not just about what you know. It grows from your redeemed heart, and it's seen in your works done in humility. Now, before I get to these five points, there's a prerequisite in the school of wisdom a class you have to take before you even get to wisdom, and that's meekness, that's humility. And that comes in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show or demonstrate his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is key. Meekness is the first understanding, the first quality of Uh, The dictionary definition of gentle friendliness, uh, of strength that's under control, under the Spirit's control. Meekness is restrained patience, patient trust in the midst of difficult circumstances. Jesus himself said he was gentle. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I will help you find rest for your souls. Meek and meekness, or gentleness and meekness, are, are synonyms. They're, they're it translated in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the very same word in Numbers 13, uh, twelve three, speaking of Moses. Now, Moses was very humble more than any man who is on the face of the earth. The prerequisite for wisdom has got to be humility. You aren't as special as you think you are. You are worthless and only deserving of God's wrath and curse except for God's grace, God's goodness to you. Everything that we have is dependent on him. With that in mind, let's look at true wisdom's nature. The nature of true wisdom is heavenly it 's not earthly, and so if you see we 're skipping over verse fourteen that 's kind of the the uh, attitudes of uh, the and the character of wisdom. but as you read verse fifteen, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but 's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic so there 's a wisdom that comes down from above you, if you remember this phrase. From chapter 1, James says that um, every good and perfect thing comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. So we, we identify the things that come down from above, those are the good things. Those are the true things. Those are the things that have meaning and value. But something that is just the opposite of coming down from above is from below or earthly is the way this word is, is translated. Earthly is that which is limited to the present, the, the material world of time and space. And by definition, it's restricted to things that can, we can theorize, that we can discover, that man can accomplish by himself. It really doesn't have a place for God or the things of God. It has no place for spiritual truth or illumination. It's, it's a closed system. It's a circumscribed box earthly things, the things of this earth. We're told not to set our affection on things of this earth, but the things that are above. Uh, True wisdom's essence is spiritual, not natural, or as James is translated in the ESV, unspiritual. Um, That natural word uh, or unspiritual is from the word uh, "suke." that we get psychology from. It's our base nature, our our human soul that we've been given. It it means the affinity to our natural and um, fleshly propensities. Our our, our flesh is kind of our ruling principles, our our instincts, our more animalistic instincts, our sensual appetites as lived apart from the Spirit of God. And so, Uh, One translator describes this word unspiritual uh, and amplifies it. He says, having to do with the natural physical existence as over against the spiritual world of the supernatural. The smartest scientists in the world that understand matter and the things of this earth but miss out on those things that are spiritual realities don't have true wisdom. Their wisdom is truncated. And I would say also their understanding of the natural world is put through a lens that is cracked, that is fogged over because of the effects of the fall on the mind of every human being. The noetic effect, effect of the fall has, has darkened our thinking, even to, those, even to studying natural things. Look at true wisdom's origin. Um, This seems to be James going over the top, but he did this with the tongue, too. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic? Seriously? Demonic wisdom? Well, Well, James did say that the tongue is a fire set on fire by hell itself. So James is very aware of the spiritual world. In fact, those spirits who have rebelled against God and their influence on the way we think, on what we believe. What well, we think wisdom is because the wisdom of this world is at play through the spiritual realm, and it's through those spiritual forces of wickedness, the devil and his demons. I'm not trying to scare you here, but this is, this is a reality of the battle that we're in and how wisdom gets so twisted and perverted in our age. We're in a battle against the world, our own flesh, and the devil himself. And God has given us tools, weapons to fight this war that is demonic. Uh, Genesis 3, this is the playbook. When Adam and Eve were given the one command, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. You can eat of all the other trees in the garden. Then the tempter comes in in the form of a serpent. And he wants to give alternative wisdom to Eve that she could pass on to Adam. The serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. Oh, exactly the opposite of what God says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It's demonic wisdom to say, don't believe God. He's lying. Don't you know that God is holding out on you? Because you you're going to get some wisdom from this that he won't give you. And this is your way to get it. And, hey, it looks good to you, doesn't it? It, it, it passes the, the sniff test. Hey, that's pretty, that's pretty nice. I like that. And so to our human senses, our human sensibilities, our fallen senses, the lies of the devil sound like truth, and they're just not. The only way that we're going to be awakened to what the true truth is is consider the source. Here's the application. Here's a challenge. I want you to consider the source of the truth that you're getting. Where is that certified from? What kind of check mark does this truth have? Is the nature, essence, and origin of your wisdom heavenly, spiritual, and divine? Or is it more earthly, natural, maybe even demonic? We would say, no, it's not demonic. Well, is it natural? Is it just earthly wisdom? The wisdom of the world is so shaped by the God of this age that He would remove God and the God of the Bible like that and the truths that come out from the world and the devil are insane given God's true truth that he speaks to us so consider the source i think one of the areas that really is a is a perfect example of where this has gone crazy is in the world of psychology and the study of the inner man the Spirit, as the Bible terms it, is something that the world wants to give their opinions on, wants to give their ideas and answers and observations. I want you to hear what David Paulson warns us about. He says every counselor, and we're all counselors, we all give advice, we all give recommendations, we all make assessments about the things we see. Every counselor uh, brings a message An interpretation of problems, a theory that weighs causalities and context, a proposal for a cure, a goal that defines thriving humanness. How does your message compare with the messages of the world? Simply consider that our culture's other counselors, what they don't say. They don't mention the God of the Bible. They don't mention the sinfulness of sin. They don't mention that suffering is meaningful within God's purposes of mercy and judgment. They never mention Jesus Christ. They never mention that God really does forgive sins. They never mention that human beings are meant to obey God's will, not follow our own wishes and feelings. They never mention that the power to change doesn't lie. Within us, check your sources. Where are you getting your wisdom from? Well, what will it look like when you get this wisdom? This wisdom will have a character that is pure, not jealous or selfish. So, verse 14, we see two phrases But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false against the truth. He repeats that again in verse 16 where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. This is the mindset, philosophy, mentality of the heart that is opposed to true wisdom. And so it's going to bear a different kind of fruit in our lives. It's going to look different when the character of our wisdom is bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. This word uh, jealousy, is modified in verse 14 by bitter jealousy. So we know it's to be taken in a negative context, but it is used in Scripture in a positive way, in talking about Jesus and His zeal for the Father's house consumes Him. Uh, that same word, ze- zealous, zealous, is used of Jesus doing something righteous. But when it's here in the context of James, bitter jealousy it's about ourselves. It's about what we want in our own fallen selves. It's not what God wants for us. It's I see what you have. I want to take it. It's um, also as the same term is used of those radical um, people in society during Jesus' day and just afterwards, that want, they were called the zealots. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. They wanted to just, in their zeal and vigor, uh, to cause chaos and to cause uh, uh, riots. But the wisdom, but the other term that's uh, used here, the character of selfish ambition, uh, this is self-seeking. This, this causes strife, contentiousness, it's really a term of extreme selfishness, or rivalry, uh, people that seek after their own. And this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. But outside of the New Testament, in, in Aristotle, it refers to uh, partisan zeal. Uh, our people, our group, our ambition is for this. And it, and it causes a party spirit, a factious, factions. And it suggests somebody who is leading for their own pride. And really it has no room for other people, has no room for um, genuine humility for sure. So this selfish ambition and this bitter jealousy are marks that there is a false wisdom going on in our lives. But what about the true wisdom? What about the wisdom that is pure? Verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure and as he goes through this list it, it kind of sounds like wow the, the fruit of the spirit is kind of a long list of these qualities i think there's similarities to paul's fruit of the spirit and this list but the beginning caption is it's first pure like purity is like first and foremost among the markers for this wisdom and some have have thought that purity is kind of the overarching uh, characteristic and all of these others kind of are subsets of real purity. But as I went through this list and, and when I deal with people in conflict, when I deal with people in, in marriage conflict or in their homes, they'll have parents and teenagers, buttonheads or parents of adult children and they see completely not eye to eye on things. When conflict is brewing and these fights and and uh, wars are taking place, I think of this list that James describes, and I think, wow, if these characteristics are in place in just one of those people's lives, it's going to make a huge difference. I don't know how you fight with somebody that has this kind of character. Look at verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So what's the result? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pure is free from defilements, free from contaminants or impurities. Peaceable is is characterized for promoting a state of of wholeness, of well-being. Loving and promoting peace. It's the opposite of unrest. Peaceable. What about being gentle? Gentle was looked down upon in James's day by the Greek aristocracy. They, they saw that gentleness as weakness. And if you were going to be strong, if you were going to be a leader, if you were going to be wise, you had to be strong and firm. Gentleness is not being weak. It's about having your power under control. It's being patient with others, being gracious with others, It's being fair and equitable. Also being open to reason. The word literally means easily persuaded, but this is not gullible. This is somebody who, I will listen to you. I want to hear everything that you believe about this matter, and I will consider it and weigh it with an open mind so that if I should be persuaded, I will be. But this is not to say I'm wishy-washy and I'll flip-flop when the Word of God is being questioned or being um, compromised, we can't be open, so open-minded that we're willing to change our, our belief in God's Word. We are full of mercy and full of good fruits. Have you met somebody that's full of mercy? I mean, we don't get full of mercy by getting mercy from other people. We're full of mercy because we've been mercied by God. Someone who truly understands their salvation is all of grace, that I've been shown so much mercy. I deserve his wrath and curse, but he has shown me such love, care, forgiveness, and mercy. That person who's received it from God has it to give. They got bushel baskets full of it, that they can bear that fruit with other people, be long-suffering, full of mercy, full of good fruits they're also impartial i'm not making judgments and distinctions i'm not tending to cause divisions or factions i'm going to be fair with you and finally sincere it's it's actually unhypocritical it's it's someone who there's no hypocrisy in them and that person is one that is pure. That's the kind of person whose wisdom is a controlling factor in their life. It's not what other people think about them. They're not trying to put on a show. They're not just wearing a mask for other people to see. It's genuine. It's the real deal. When these things are in place, when, the, when these character traits are there, you can, be see, you can be sure you're seeing a genuine wisdom that's at play. And what's the result? True wisdom's harvest is righteousness, not disorder and evil. Because, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Things just spin out of control. Things just kind of wrap around the axle and, and, it, and it just goes bad. Because the ruling desire is me. And my Selfish ambition and my bitter jealousy, and those things just lead to disorder, just lead to every vile practice. James has already made clear, someone said, that disorder does not characterize God's people, but rather the double minded man who's unstable in all of his ways, in James 1 8, and the unredeemed tongue which is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. That unstable and that restless, it's the same word as as disorder. That's what we can expect when our lives are not ruled by the true wisdom. It's not good for anything. But listen to this. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Your wisdom, if it's genuine, is going to bear the fruit of lives that are at peace. Lives that are not free from conflict. We're always going to have disagreements. We're always going to have things that we don't see eye to eye on. But they won't rise to the level of, of disorder and of every vile practice because we'll be able to moderate with these character traits of true wisdom. And again, these are indications that God is doing a work in you. That the work that he has begun, he's going to see to completion, and he's doing it. So when I look at this true wisdom that it isn't just what you know, but it's really what grows from a redeemed heart, and it's going to be seen in your works as you do them in humility. A couple of people came to mind this week as I, as I was trying to think, what really exemplifies this, this true wisdom that is from above, this, that has these characteristics? And, and what does the the wisdom that is really selfish and, and jealous and, and, and really is just earthly and unspiritual, even demonic? And I'll use some made-up names of Paul and the other Kevin. What does it look like? Kevin, he's a Ph.D. with many years in academia, both as a student and as a professor, He's written books and articles and journals and he has a steady stream of of wisdom and opinions and advice and judgments that he makes and he freely shares them. He shares them in his classroom, he shares them in conversations, and of course importantly he shares them all over the internet. It's where every bit of wisdom needs to be shared and appreciated. But what do I see when when those social media posts go out there? I, I see all sorts of Disorders, all sorts of factions, all sorts of dispiece that shows, and, and ultimately there are put downs of other opinions in order to make his position seem good. That's how you win. That's how you boastful, proud, arrogant. That that's how it comes off. And to be sure, he's a Christian. There there are bits of biblical wisdom, but it's so polluted by this this pride this lack of humility and it seems that he so desperately wants to take these worldly thoughts these this earthly wisdom that he hears from other wise people and he and he wants to be somehow maybe redemptive in it and make it polish it up make it sound biblical and so it's palatable to you but it, it really just smacks of somebody who I want to be liked by those non-Christians who are smart people. And it's sad because it doesn't promote the unity of the church, and it doesn't doesn't help with true wisdom. But Paul, on the other hand, when I think of Paul, he's a great listener. I think he excels at listening more than he does at speaking. There's wisdom in itself. And when he does have an opinion on something and and he thinks about, what's going on in your life, if he's going to give that opinion or advice or or judgment, it's going to be after he gives it some thought. He's going to take time to process what he's heard. And if you ask him, he'll give his opinion. But he's not running around just to tell you his thoughts and his opinion on every matter. He does it out of care. He does it out of concern. He does it with a a level of, of humility and gentleness. He's mindful of others, and he really wants to serve others. He'll, he'll, like I said, go the extra mile to, to hear you out. He wants to know what you really think on something so that he can answer it right. So he's not just giving you blanket, generic help. He's really honed in on what's the real thing you're wrestling with, and he wants to bring the truth of God's word to bear. He wants to bring the gospel back. He wants to bring hope into your life so that so that you're helped by these words and they're not just empty. And so he's the first one to point that he's not perfect. He's sincere in his understanding of where he falls short and he needs Jesus. And so he points himself to Jesus. He points the people he talks to to Jesus. And he studies God's word. He studies peacemaking. He studies the truth of God's Word and he, he meditates on it. He makes sure he's going over it and over it, memorizing Scripture so that it so saturates the way that he processes life that when he speaks into someone's life in a matter that they're dealing with, it just naturally flows out the truths of Scripture, not sounding like some packaged, let me give you a Bible verse for that. It's, it's part of who he is. I see real wisdom in his life. And I know that he practices peacemaking with people and ultimately the results of those peacemaking endeavors are in God's hands. But I've seen such success in the way that he approaches real tough conflicts because he's doing that in true wisdom. I pray that true wisdom would not just be about the things we know, but that it would grow in us that it would grow from a redeemed heart and that it would be seen in our works done in humility. Let's pray together. Lord, we know the source. It's got to be your word to give us the truth and true wisdom. You tell us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Give us this humility to practice true wisdom in our lives.